tonight to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18. We're actually going to come down into chapter 6 and come through the end of chapter 6. It goes down to verse 12. And so we'll begin, though, in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse number 18, and then we'll come down through chapter 6 to verse number 12. Uh, the reason I'm doing this because it all flows together. It's part of the uh, same context and what Solomon is communicating, and it connects to what we looked at previously uh, in verse 8 down through verse 17. So I'll kind of tie all that together here in a moment. Uh, but I've titled the message tonight, Enjoyment in God's Blessings, Enjoyment in God's blessings. And so let's read our text and then dive into it together. Notice that Solomon says in chapter 5, verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Chapter 6 and verse 1 begins and says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, when he, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Enjoyment in God's blessings. That's what we're looking at tonight. We think about enjoyment. Are we meant to have enjoyment in life? Are we meant to have enjoyment in life? I would say absolutely we are. We weren't created to live a life of drudgery and, and misery. God created this world and all that's in it for His glory and also for what? Our good, right? He uh, created this world to be inhabited by us and be enjoyed by us. We're in create, we are created to enjoy His creation and the life that He gives us. But not all people have enjoyment in life, do they? Why is that? Well, when sin entered the world, what did sin bring? Sin brought a curse, and it brought corruption, and it brought great hardship, things that make joy in life very hard to experience. 
Sin brought vanity into the world in every way. And this has been the principle woven through Ecclesiastes. What is the repeated theme of Solomon through Ecclesiastes? All is vanity and striving after the wind. He points out various things, and we'll continue to see that. And so since all is vanity and striving after the wind, how can anyone find true enjoyment or satisfaction in this world? The truth is they can't without God. They can't without God. And this largely has been Solomon's undergirding truth through the book, and he'll continue to emphasize this. Now, it's in our previous text, we saw the, that money is meaningless without God. That was the title of our last message, and that was what the previous passage covered. Money is meaningless without God. Solomon touched on the vanity of money and wealth earlier in the book, but in this chapter, he, he dove a little deeper into that truth, and the same thing for chapter 6. And although money is meaningless without God, it is not pointless or useless with God. So we must understand the categories here and the perspective that's being given by Solomon. You see, in this text and down through chapter 6, we see that God expects His people to find enjoyment in the blessings He gives them, but He also points out the misery and vanity of not finding enjoyment in God's blessings, of not finding enjoyment that He's laid out here. In fact, chapter 6 is deemed to be one of the darkest passages in all of Scripture as you read through it because it seems to be full of disappointments that many experience in life and contrast them with some, some hard truths. Yet all the while, Solomon is bringing us to the central point that without God and without His enablement, there really is no true enjoyment or true satisfaction in life under the sun. So we're going to see two types of men. We see one that is greatly blessed by God, great wealth, prosperity, and he enjoys what God has given him. We see another man who's also blessed with great wealth and prosperity, but he doesn't get any enjoyment. In fact, he finds a lot of misery in his life and uh, his failure to have this enjoyment. So let's look in our notes here tonight. There's just three headings I want to bring to you through this text. Notice, number one, that there is good in enjoying God's blessings. There is good in enjoying God's blessings. And that's what Solomon brings to our attention in this opening passage. And I'll point out two applications. Two applications from this. We should have present enjoyment. Key word, present. We should have present enjoyment in the blessings of God or in God's blessings. You'll notice in verse 18 that Solomon says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting. And then he's going to describe this, right? Now, we know that through this book, Solomon has seen many things. He says, I've seen everything in life under the sun. And the general conclusion of everything under the sun is it's vanity and striving after the wind. And why is it? Because Solomon's viewpoint when he's describing that is life in this world, in a sin-cursed world, without God without his involvement, without uh, uh, knowing truth and knowing him. And so what we find here is that God is truly central to the message of Ecclesiastes. Life should not be lived without the one true God, the creator who made us and gave us life, at the center of it. And with that in mind, Solomon in his text says it's good and fitting for a person to enjoy life. Now, I thought it was interesting that the word for fitting here is the same Hebrew word translated as beautiful in, in chapter 3, verse 11, when he says to everything there is a season and there's, everything is beautiful in its time. 
It's the same exact word. So, so what he's saying, I see it's good and fitting, good and beautiful, good and pleasant for a person, notice this, to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which he toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Now, this probably sounds familiar. Some of the stuff we look at through this chapter and chapter 6, they're familiar because he repeats some things that he mentioned briefly earlier. We, we recall back to chapter 2, verse 24. Remember what Solomon said? There's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. So he's repeating this gift that is to mankind, enjoying the fruit of his toil and the blessings of God. Now, when we look at this, is it true the Lord wants us to find enjoyment in all the toil of life? Absolutely. Say, so how do you know? He says so right here. <laughs> Very plain. He says, this is good. This is fitting. This is beautiful. Now, one might think, why does God want us to find enjoyment in all that we do and all that we gain in life, in this world? Well, two quick reasons I want to give to you. One is this, is that life is short under the sun and therefore should be enjoyed. We should enjoy life under the sun with God at the center of our life. He says in this text, how many days do we have? Few days. He says we have few days of life under the sun. We've only got a short time, and we should enjoy the time that we do have, right? Whenever we take our kids to the park, which they love doing that, we go to the playground sometimes and let them play for an hour or two, but we usually tell them, hey, we've got... 10 minutes left, got 15 minutes left, and you know what they usually do? They immediately go to do exactly what they love to do the best, right? What's their favorite thing on the playground? Because they know, okay, time is short, so I'm going to get in my favorite thing before it's time to leave. And so there's an application there for us, too. You know, we, we, we think about how short our life is, and it's not meant to be lived through in uh, misery and drudgery in, in every aspect that we go through, Right? Now, let me qualify this by saying this does not mean that we should seek all the ungodly pleasures of life because life is short. That's the mindset of the ungodly world around us, isn't it? Well, life is short, so you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want. Let us eat and drink and be merry and because tomorrow we die. But it's different for the Christian. For the Christian, it's eat, drink, and enjoy God because we have eternal life and we have Him with us, Right? It's different for us. We enjoy life the way life is meant to be enjoyed by our, by, as given by our Creator, not the way that it's been distorted by Satan, right? So God wants His people to have godly enjoyment in their work and in their wealth because they have little time to enjoy it. But number two is God, not, not number two, but secondly in this, this part here, God blesses us with what we have for the purpose of enjoying it. He gives us this for the purpose of enjoying it. Verse 19, Solomon says, Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Notice this person is to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. Why? Solomon says it's the gift of God that he enjoys. It's the gift of God that he enjoy his toil and what God blesses him with, his wealth, his possessions, his power to enjoy them. 
You see, the contrast is soon going to be made about the one who does not have the power to enjoy. So it's not just that you have the gift of God to enjoy. There's also an aspect of God giving you the ability to enjoy what he's given you. That really points out God's sovereignty, as we'll look at in just a moment. But enjoyment is why we are blessed with whatever it is that God has blessed us with. Paul said to Timothy regarding the uh, teaching the rich in his church, which would be Christians who are wealthy, he said in 1 Timothy 6.17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to what? Enjoy. He gives us all things to enjoy. Now understand, God does not condemn Christians for being rich, nor does he condemn Christians for being poor. Christians come in both shades and everything in between. All right? One's not better than the other in the eyes of God. True enjoyment in life is not about, really, how much you have or how much you don't have, but it's about enjoying what you do have given to you by God, being content with such things as you have been given and enjoying them, enjoying what you have. You see, life is too short to constantly live in a discontent and dissatisfied frame of mind. If you're constantly dissatisfied and discontent because of material, uh, material things, you're not enjoying life. You're living life miserably. You're not enjoying life. Solomon says it's good and fitting because God calls us to enjoy what he's blessed us with to his glory. So really, when you think about this, you ought to enjoy all the little things as well as the big things. Every meal that you sit down and eat, enjoy it. Take a moment to think about that God gave me this to enjoy, to nourish me. Every glass of water that you drink or Dr. Pepper that you enjoy, I mean, whatever your favorite soda is, right? Your chocolate shakes. Enjoy that. Every moment you get with your family, take note of enjoying that, right? Enjoy the things that he's given you. Enjoy your vehicle he's blessed you with. Enjoy your house he's given you to live in. Enjoy the times that you have to work and labor. Enjoy your times of leisure and relaxation. God wants his people to enjoy life with him at the center of it. So Christian, I ask you, do you enjoy what God has given you or are you pretty dissatisfied and disgruntled with what you have in life? Do you consciously recognize all that you have as a means of enjoyment in God? Letter B tonight, notice this, we should recognize, this is another key to enjoyment, we should recognize where all blessings come from. Where do all blessings come from? They come from the blesser, the giver. Now, why do you think many do not have enjoyment in what they have? It's because they do they desire more or for, for they have a desire for more or for better, right? And this really is what plagues the human nature. Man is never satisfied with things or experiences because none of those things give a lasting satisfaction. But understanding the truth about the Lord, the truth about our life in this world, the truth about why God blesses us with possessions and material, whatever it is, Understanding those things is what enables us to enjoy those things properly. 
You see, the problem with this desire for more and more, it's rooted in a lack of contentment with what we have, isn't it? So really, the issue with enjoyment comes down to the heart of man, doesn't it? That's where it boils down to. Paul, I think, is a great example. Paul was one who knew both sides of this coin. He had times in his life where he had a lot. Great abundance, great health, great wealth. He had times where he didn't have hardly anything. Terrible health, stoned, left for dead, little to nothing, in prison, right? He had both. But here's what he teaches us to the Philippian church. And this is great application for us Christians in every generation. He says to them, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. To be content. Doesn't matter what situation he's in, to be content. Now, what situation is Paul in when he's writing this? He's in prison. And he's writing the letter that is the most joyful letter that he ever wrote. And here's what he says. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's your beloved verse, right? The context to it. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. That's not about winning a basketball game. That's about being content in whatever situation of life you're in. And so the key to contentment is recognizing God's providence and what he's blessed you with. It is God who determines to bless you according to his will at any point in time. What's Solomon say here in verse 19? It's God who has given wealth, possessions, and power to enjoy them. You see, if we fail to recognize that all we have comes from the Lord above, we will fail to be grateful and we will not enjoy what we have. And this is the lesson God wanted for his people to learn and understand before entering the promised land. Listen to this passage of scripture. I think it's fitting for this particular text, reference. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17. Notice what God says to his people in the law. He says in verse 17 and 18, he says, Beware... Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Here's what God reminds them of. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Now, here's the temptation is that when we are coming to a state of blessing, we tend to think, oh, man, look at what all I have gotten. And How often do the Israelites get that same kind of mentality? They come to the promised land, God conquered it for them, but you go down a generation or two and what do they have? Nothing but pride about who they are and what they have, which leads them into idolatry. That's what you see here. He warns his people, beware lest they allow their hearts to think that all their wealth came from them, even from their own work. Notice what he says here. He says, plainly, it is the Lord who gives you power to get wealth. So there's the, there's the means of ability and, and, and actual work from the people, right? He didn't just give them the wealth. He gave them power to get the wealth, their ability. 
See, even the work that we do in this world to bring home a paycheck and use it for our needs and even some of our wants if we have the the extra, it all comes from the Lord. Every skill, every ability that you have to do in any kind of job that brings you income comes from the Lord. You know, I tend to sigh watching our pro athletes. They make a great shot, and what do they do? They beat their chest and say, look at me, this is what I've done. And you watch them off the court, and they're so proud and boastful about their millions and millions of dollars that they've acquired by these contracts and, 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 and all these things that they've got. And you know what? The majority of those people are miserable people. They don't have true enjoyment and satisfaction that's lasting. Why is that? Because they don't see the true source of where all of it comes from. Where all of it comes from. God gave them the ability to dunk a basketball or throw a touchdown pass or whatever it is. All that we have and all that we are, it's from God. His providence, His blessing in, in every way. James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. This is the foundational principle we must have in our hearts if we're to enjoy, if we're to enjoy the blessings of God. You'll notice in verse 20 that Solomon says of this man enjoying uh, his, his, his toil and his reward, notice this, that For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. What is Solomon saying there? The person who is enjoying God's blessings in the present will not be constantly living in the past. He will not remember much of the days of his life. You see, the past days of a person's life may have some good and probably some bad. All of our life is a mixture, right? You got some bad memories, you got some good memories. You got some bad times, you got some good times. We certainly don't really like to remember the bad, although we learn from them. But sometimes we tend to dwell on the good of the past, causing us to fail to see the good of the present. Now, there's nothing wrong with thinking back on the past, right? We should have memories. You know, my iPhone does this thing where it pops up a photo and says, on this day in 2015 or 16 or whatever, you know, and sometimes little pictures of, pictures of baby Jubilee and baby David will pop up, and it kind of takes your mind into this a different era of time, right? And you kind of rejoice, and you remember what it was like back then. But if I lived there and wished she was still a baby and lived there and constantly thought about that, I'd miss out on the present right now of her age that she's experiencing right now. You see, that's how it is with a a variety of things in this world. I could live in the past and wish my kids would stop growing, or I can enjoy them as they're growing, presently. So rejoice in the blessings of the past, but always recognize the blessings of the present. Too many people live in the past thinking either only of bad times or thinking of the good old days. That's a common phrase, right? The good old days. You understand right now you're living in some good old days and present blessings of God. We just tend to maybe not see it as regularly as we ought to. And truly, I think this is the key to enjoyment, that God is at the center of it all. One can only enjoy the blessings of this life as they're intended when they recognize God at the center of them. And so do we recognize that all we have, all we are, is of God at this present moment 
and in that we should have enjoyment in him. Enjoy the blessings of God. Number two, not only is there good in enjoying God's blessings, there is grief in not enjoying God's blessings. There's grief. And Solomon brings out some, some pointed things in this particular passage, some things that might be difficult to understand, but we'll tackle them best we can. Notice that Solomon firstly sees no guarantee of enjoyment. Not everybody enjoy, has enjoyment in life, even if they're wealthy and rich and have everything they ever want. Not everyone finds true enjoyment in life. Now, as we come to this next chapter and section, it's connected to the previous context, why I'm taking it all together. But he lays out a series of sketches showing the limitations of wealth, and there's no, that there's no guarantee of enjoying it, and that not being able to enjoy life the way uh, the person previously mentioned enjoyed God's blessing, it is a great tragedy. Verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. The word for evil here refers uh, not necessarily to sin, although it can, depending on context. The word for evil here refers to calamity or disaster, tragedy. It's a, tragi- it's a tragic thing for this kind of thing to happen in life. This is what Solomon's saying. So what is this calamity? In verse 2, he says, It's a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. Imagine having everything you ever wanted, but you have no enjoyment at all. None. A lot of people live that way. Instead of this wealthy man being able to enjoy the abundance, notice what he says. He says, a stranger enjoys them. A stranger enjoys them. Now, this again is a kind of a flashback to what he said earlier in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, he said, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil before it. This also is vanity and a great evil. So Solomon has his self in mind. We know Solomon was a very wealthy and prominent individual. So Solomon is describing here a person who has great acquisition with no satisfaction. Acquires a lot, but yet he's still lacking enjoyment. Someone said there was once a time when John D. Rockefeller, which we know he was a rich man, and at this time he was the richest man in the world at this particular time, he had an interaction with his chauffeur that revealed his lack of something his chauffeur had. Rockefeller had a bad stomach ailment, and he had to go on a diet of basically crackers. And when his chauffeur, he saw his chauffeur eating a chili dog, he reportedly said, I'd give a million dollars to have your stomach. Well, the chauffeur replied, you've got all the money in the world, and now you want my stomach too. (laughs) It's kind of interesting, that dynamic. All the money in the world, and yet he can't enjoy a chili dog because of the stomach he's got. You see, a man can live the American dream, and it turned out to be a nightmare. That's what it boils down to. So why does this man find himself unsatisfied and unable to enjoy what he has? Well... I think we have to recognize, since it is God who gives all things to all men, we must recognize the sovereignty of God over this. You notice that God is not only sovereign over his allotting of what he gives, but he's even sovereign over the ability or inability to enjoy what he's given. You'll notice in both of these men, God gave the first man the power to enjoy it. 
And now he has not given this man the power to enjoy what he has. You say, well, why is that? Why would God give someone something but not give him the ability to enjoy what he has? Well, sometimes that's just mysterious as to his providence, and we trust him with that. But we could think of maybe some practical implications from this. When we consider the unregenerate person who's bound in their sin, they fail to have true enjoyment because they don't truly know Christ who is satisfaction. No matter how much wealth they have, they don't have the power to enjoy it because they don't know Christ who is true enjoyment. All things in their enjoyment are, are, are really enjoyed in Christ first. So, so that's a, a key there. The person who does not see God in all their gifts and blessings won't find the enjoyment that they're meant to have. But secondly, we think about maybe a, a regenerate person who knows Christ. We understand that God governs in our life according to what is best for his people. Romans 8, 28 teaches that. We know that all things, all, all, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, while every believer is blessed in Christ with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places and is being sanctified by God, not all of God's people enjoy the same material blessings in this life under the sun. Some blessings, if we had them, would only draw us away from God. There may be a reason that I don't have a billion dollars. Probably would be a great distraction to me. I wouldn't, wouldn't follow God as closely as I ought to, maybe. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. God does. But what about you? Maybe there's things that you think you'd like to have, but God says, no, it's probably better that you don't have this because I know what it's going to do to you. I know how this will work in your life. The Christ-centered exposition of Ecclesiastes, this author said this, disallowing the ability to find satisfaction in stuff is God's goodness to us because nothing but God can ultimately satisfy. I thought that was a good way of putting it. You see, some things God may allow us to acquire only to teach us that we don't really need them. We don't really have to have them to satisfy us. It also could be that he has blessed us with something, but he's brought his hand of chastisement on us from enjoying them because we have forsaken him and we've rebelled against him. We could speculate to many things, but the, the ultimate point here is that we recognize God's sovereignty in all aspects of life, in what he gives and also what he enables us to enjoy even in where we are and what we have now. And so if we're to have this true enjoyment, we have to first see that it's in God first. Because central to this miserable man is someone who does not see or acknowledge God in his wealth. Enjoyment in any kind of material gain is not guaranteed, no matter how much the world says so. Have you ever seen an ad or bought something where they, they promoted Satisfaction what? Guaranteed, whether either with the product or with the service you get. I've experienced both, even in recent days. We had to buy a new dishwasher, and Lowe's dropped the order and didn't push it through, and so we got to do a reset on that. It's like, well, where's your satisfaction guaranteed, right? Didn't come through. So we recognize where true enjoyment is and the misery of not having enjoyment of God. And he, he expounds on this, right? Solomon sees, letter B, he sees disappointments of no enjoyment. He sees the disappointments of this. He continues in this context of a man who does not find enjoyment and contrasts him with a few things. In verse 3 through 5, he contrasts his life with that of a stillborn child. Verse 3 says, If a man 
fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, he also, and, has, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Think about that contrast. What could Solomon mean by this? Solomon, he's using some hyperbolic language to start, some exaggeration to display the best life of someone in the Old Testament, what is considered truly blessed in the Old Testament. You know what that was? Wealth, long life, and a lot of children. That's the blessed kind of guy materially in an earthly sense. Solomon's saying a man can have all these things and still be unsatisfied with no enjoyment and that this is a depressing and dark life. This man, he says, even has no burial. What does that mean? He had a life of no enjoyment and a life that had no impact on anyone. Nobody's there to mourn him. Nobody's there to bury him. He has no funeral, if you would. Notice that he compares this. He says, a stillborn child is better off than he. Why does he say that? Now, that, that's somewhat of an emotionally hard statement. But the reality for life under the sun is that a stillborn child is better off in that he didn't have to experience the pains and sufferings of this world or the lack of enjoyment that we could have in this world. He didn't have the kind of miserable life that this other guy had. I mean, Job said in his own suffering in Job 3.16, or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child as infants who never see light? That's how, that's how Job is feeling in the moment of his suffering. He cursed the day he was born. Why did I come into this world only to experience this? He further explains this scenario of a stillborn child and this man who's miserable, had no enjoyment in in verse 4 through 6. Look at this with me as I read it. He says, For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. Talking about a stillborn child. And in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place? You see, Solomon's saying, having never been born alive is better than being born alive, living increased with great riches, living for 2,000 years, having a hundred children, and then dying unsatisfied and unmourned for, unlamented. And in the end, what do the wealthy man and the stillborn both have in common? They both go to one place, and that one place is the grave. The grave. Now, people will deeply grieve over a miscarried baby, but not this man that Solomon's talking about. That's why he says the stillborn baby is better off than this guy. Now, this may be a dark and depressing view of a person's life, But understand that it is a picture of life under the sun without true enjoyment in God and His blessings. And here's the sad reality. Millions of people are living this life because they reject their Creator in their sin. Solomon continues in the disappointments he sees in verse 7 through 10 describing the lack of satisfaction this man has. Verse 7, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Why does man continue to work and work and work? Well, 
In order to eat, you have to have money. In order to have money to eat, you have to work. Right? That's the cycle of life. It's for his mouth, for his nourishment, for his own body. It's a plain reality that we must work in order to eat. Proverbs 16, 26, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. This part of life is about like running on a treadmill, isn't it? Constantly just going in the same pace, same, same, same movement. But it's a picture of the bigger reality. Someone said man works to eat for the strength to go on, working on to go on eating. Pretty much how it goes. If you eat three meals a day, every day of the year, you're taking in 1,095 meals per year. Somebody wrote that, and then I did the math. I was like, wow, I eat a lot. <laughs> I eat a lot, and I even try to fast through a few meals. That's still a lot. See, your natural appetite here is never satisfied, which really is a picture of the bigger problem, man's never-ending dissatisfaction. G.K. Chesterton said there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Well... There's some wisdom there, but the problem is that we're never satisfied with the things of the world. We always want more. It's hard to desire less, isn't it? Solomon in verse 8, again, he speaks of the wise versus the fool, continuing on down here through this theme. And then he also mentions the poor who knows how to live. And really his questions are, are, are to emphasize the point. Is there an advantage of the wise or the fool in this matter? Is there an advantage to the poor who knows how to live? You see, the problem of dissatisfied appetites comes, is in every people of every status of life, whether they're fool, whether they're wise, whether they're poor, whether they're rich. And so Solomon says in verse 9, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering appetite. What's he saying? Well, I'm honestly not sure, so I referenced a little commentary out here. He says, if the wise and the poor man who seeks improvement have wandering desire, they are no better off. The eyes are one part of man's physical equipment with which to enjoy life and find contentment. But though there may be plenty to see, an inward wandering desire prevents man from ever being entirely content. So it doesn't matter if you find enjoyment in seeing the things that you want to get or or, 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 or your eyes wandering this way, your heart is always dissatisfied, is what he's saying. And thus, he says, this also is vanity and striving after the wind. Now, here's the right balance, I think, in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8 through 9. I like what the author of Proverbs in this particular text says. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and verse 9. Because I think we see the principle here is that it's better to be content with what you have than to be constantly craving more with your wandering appetite. Because craving more and getting more doesn't ultimately satisfy. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. Notice this. He says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He's basically saying, I don't want to be on either one of those extremes. I want to be balanced in the middle. I want to live content with God. Many people go on the search for enjoyment and satisfaction and never find it because they look in all the wrong places. And what about us? 
What about us? We find this enjoyment. There is great grief in not having the enjoyment, just like this man that Solomon describes. But we see the enjoyment is in God. But notice with number three, as we come to the close of this, the last few verses, I think the principle we see in this is that God is sovereign over all his blessings. He's sovereign over all his blessings. And notice with the letter A that God's providence governs all things, and that applies to every aspect of our life. Every aspect, as we touched on a moment ago. Go, look at verse 10. He gives a definitive statement regarding this. He says, whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Who would man possibly dispute with? He's talking about God. You can't dispute with God and win. You just can't. But he's saying here, whatever has come to be has already been named. What's, it, what's that mean? It's talking about God's sovereignty and the things of life and what man is. It manifests his strength and his governing over everything in this world, including true enjoyment. Verse 11, Solomon says, the more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? You see, God is the one who's already named all things. And to name something is to exercise authority over it. So Solomon here, he confesses that God rules over all things, and he points out that it would be foolish for mankind to dispute God with his sovereign ordering of the world. To do so only produces more words, and with more words comes more vanity. seems like there are several scriptures that speak about, who are you that replies against God? Romans 9. Shall the thing formed say to the thing that formed it why have you made me thus quoting from isaiah we think of job himself in his suffering job 932 he says for he is not a man as i am that i might answer him that we should come and come to trial together we don't come to god and say now lord let's just rethink what you're doing we don't do that <laughs> we're at the mercy of him So Solomon closes with a couple of questions in verse 12 that he doesn't answer. This is another reason that some think, see, this is such a dark passage. We see the the detriment of this man who has no enjoyment in in God and in the blessings of life. Then we see questions that have no answer, but I think we can deduct what's being communicated. Verse 12, he says, For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? see, the answer to these questions really rests in the perfect providence of God over mankind. Because it is God who knows what is best for man. It is God who knows what is best for you at any given moment in your life. It is also God alone who knows what your future is going to be. What's going to come after you. So therefore, what we find is that our life should be centered upon God and only then will we have true enjoyment. And I close with this, and that is that Christ is the key to true enjoyment. Let her be. Christ is the key to true enjoyment. Because we think, think about the New Testament application. Because what we ultimately see in general over this is threefold. We see God has a design for everything in the world, good and bad. We see our departure from God's design, which is sin, which led us into despair, discontentment, brokenness, misery, dissatisfaction. This is why enjoyment is so scarce in this world. 
Lastly, we see that true enjoyment is found in God alone and is accessed only in Christ alone because of His gospel work. But when we know Christ, we then can alone be truly satisfied and enjoy the blessings of God as we are meant to enjoy them. 2 Corinthians 8 9, Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. You see, whether you are poor or rich in this world, you are rich in Christ. And you can have enjoyment in that truth, knowing that you can enjoy all the blessings, little or great, in this world, knowing that you've got an eternal enjoyment ahead of you. And so, therefore, we should live our life with that lens upon how we see and perceive things. So, do we have enjoyment in God's blessings? That's really the challenge. That's really the call. Are we enjoying the blessings of God as He's given them? And uh, according to his providence in our life, that's what we ought to apply uh, to our lives today. 